if we have slipped away from the truths of Scripture where we maybe have allowed the, the world and its viewpoints uh, and its um, false teachings to invade our thinking and our actions. And so we would encourage you as believers, we should encourage one another to examine ourselves daily in our faith. And that when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit invade that examination, uh, we have those indicator lights that pop on and remind us um, where we are, are maybe failing and where we need to repent and where we need to turn uh, back to the truths and the, and the worldview of, of, of God's kingdom. And we last week uh, started chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, and I believe that these uh, truths that we'll be learning last week with Mr. Adam uh, challenging us, and this week and continuing on uh, in this chapter, we will be, in essence, examining ourselves. Jesus will be challenging us to examine these certain areas. That The area last week would, would be specifically in giving and the way that we uh, live as righteous Christians in the world. Today would be on the topic of prayer. And in the heart of this, we are looking at what is our motivation, what is our reason behind the, the things that we do as believers. And it's really no different than the, the whole Sermon on the Mount. The theme behind the Sermon on the Mount is essence, not what do we do externally, but what are we doing um, or why are we doing those things internally? What is our motivation As Adam reminded us and challenged us last week, are we doing these things as if we are faced, or standing in the face of God, if we are in before his presence? And so this morning, Jesus gives us a very familiar passage. Maybe you recited this passage as a young child in, 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 a, in a form of prayer. Maybe you had this uh, the prayer of uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, etched on a, a plaque or something hanging in your room or in your house. But we're very familiar with this passage. And what I want us to see this morning is, is how this really serves as, a, as an instruction manual, as a guide in how we should pray. Jesus obviously was one who demonstrated prayer, but he specifically gives his disciples. A very practical way to understand and practice prayer. And so I can't think of a, a better way to describe this, this sermon today than to, than to call it the Lord's God to genuine prayer. And we're going to look at three areas that I want us to look at uh, that really help us fashion our prayer life in an effective way. Their identity, intimacy, and humility. Let me read these, this passage this morning. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must, like be, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when, you go, or, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think 
that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You probably remember as a young believer really feeling the weight of prayer. How do I do it? What do I say? And really, the, the, besides the teaching of Scripture, the best instruction we have on prayer is how we hear people pray. So young people, you probably pray because in such a way because of the ways that your parents pray. And so you hear that, and, and you naturally uh, form your prayers. And so you may uh, have been taught, or you may have grown up in a, in a home where your parents refer to God as Daddy. And you hear people pray that way, you know, in a real personal, uh, and they'll just say daddy or holy daddy or, or, or something of that way. Or you may hear your parents pray specifically to Jesus, dear Jesus, you know. Or it may be uh, father or Lord. And, and you may not realize it, but we attach ourselves to those things and, and that fashions our prayer life. And I guess what we have to do is always examine our practice with what Scripture teaches, not with just our experience. So what is Jesus going to teach us here today? Well, the first thing I want you guys to see from this passage that I think is pretty clear is that prayer, our prayer life, an effective prayer life, centers on our identity with the Heavenly Father. It centers on our identity with our Heavenly Father. You'll notice something in chapter 6 that, that hopefully stands out to you. Jesus refers to God as our Father or your Father more than he does throughout the whole Gospel of Matthew. Matter of fact, in this section alone, he uses your Father or the word Father five times. And in chapter 6, um, he uses it 12 times. That's more than any account in the Gospels. So if we see repetitive words in our Bible study in such a way, it needs to draw our attention. Jesus is telling his disciples that God is their father. And I think he's teaching us that as people who follow him, that our prayer life centers on our identity in God. So think with me for a minute about three doctrines that help us focus on our identity in God. Number one, the doctrine of God as our Father. We refer to the first person of the Godhead as God the Father. And we don't just do that because there's already the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're like, oh, we need a, we need a name for the, the first person of the Godhead, so let's call him Dad or let's call him Father. No, he reveals himself as father. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 64, verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. 
Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Speaking as, as God speaking to his people says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And so let me challenge you, maybe even just to, to spend some time this week studying all the passages throughout Scripture where God reveals himself to us as a father. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who cares for us. And so he reveals himself as uh, the, the, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, and he relates himself not only to his people, but to his son Jesus, right? I mean, he is God the Father, and we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, his son, We see throughout Scripture that not only is he related to as God the Father, but he is the Father who provides for his children. A lot of times people try to adapt their theology of God based upon their understanding of a father. So they may leave out things like, for instance, the the fact that God, our Heavenly Father, provides all that we need. Well, if you had an earthly father who wasn't around and who didn't provide what you need, then that can oftentimes relate back to who you think God is. If you had an unfaithful father to your mother or to the the children in the home, maybe you would think of God as an unfaithful father. But that, again, is by your experience and not by what Scripture teaches us. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, we will get to these passages in the upcoming weeks where we're reminded that regardless of what earthly father experience you had, our heavenly father provides for us. He cares for us. It tells us specifically in Matthew um, 6, I'm sorry, 545, that he loves us so much that he cares and sends the sun and the, and, the, and the rain upon those who he loves, on the evil and those he, who he loves that are good. That he sends the, the rain on the just and on the unjust. That he cares for his people and he's even showing his goodness to those who rebel against him, who are his enemies. So as our father, he provides Also, as our Father, He disciplines. In that love of the Father for His people, He provides loving discipline. This is so important for us as believers as we think about the the importance of discipline in our homes. That as we discipline our children, we are faithful to discipline, but we're also faithful to loving discipline. Because as we faithfully love them and discipline them, as we may uh, spank them or punish them and then come and embrace them afterwards and explain to them why they were in trouble and love them, we are reminding them and shaping and molding their understanding of a God who also lovingly disciplines them. So we have Proverbs chapter 3 that reminds us Solomon says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the idea here is that if God, the father, 
loves his people, loves his children, if he is one who provides for us and and cares for us and disciplines us, then this should shape and mold our prayer life. Because what it does is it shapes and molds our identity. That this God is not a distant God or a foreign God or an impersonal God. He is a loving God. As we sang, he embraces us in his arms. We, we care for him and he cares for us. And so we have uh, access to him to go to him in prayer. So we, we think about our identity and, and in our prayer life and, and us belonging to God, that he is our father. And the second doctrine that we can focus on is, is that we are his children, that we have been adopted. How could I possibly approach the creator of the universe in prayer? How do I speak to this God? I mean, do I, do I, do I speak real royal and, 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 and real precise or how do I speak to him? How could I even access him his, in his holiness with, with my sin? And so we're reminded and we have to, to have our prayer life shaped by the fact that, that we, have, we have gained access to him. That we don't have to fear approaching God because of the adoption that we have through Jesus Christ, his son. How can God accept me as his child? It's a very humbling thought, right? How can he accept me? How could he bring me as an enemy of his into his family? What, what have I done? What could I possibly uh, merit to, to, to gain such an access? And the answer is absolutely nothing. God adopts you by his children in his own sovereign choice, in his own plan to love you not because of a, a condition, but because of unconditional grace and love. God sends his son, Jesus, into the world to be a substitute sacrifice for sinners. And in that, he provides a way for God's enemies, including all of us, to be transformed into his children through adoption. This is the amazing challenge in our faith. You know, when we fail and in our flesh, we, we rebel against God's commands. We oftentimes want to be like Adam and Eve, right? In shame, we want to hide and we want to be afraid. And we should be, uh, we should tremble and be afraid of, of the wrath of God. And yet still, by his grace, not fear a God who lovingly provided a way for us to have access to him through his son. The grace or the wrath of God has been appeased by the grace through Jesus Christ. We have no reason to fear. Galatians chapter 4 tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So that you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So all those things 
are highlighted in Jesus saying two words, your father. Two words. He says it over and over again in chapter 6, your father. Not just a father, the heavenly father who is yours. So when we pray, we pray accordingly and in the identity that we belong to God. But there's another doctrine that's important, and that's the doctrine of sin. Because Jesus seems to highlight that doctrine in this passage. That the doctrine of the depravity of our sin is highlighted in the life of these Pharisees. We see them, just as we did regarding giving and the way that they want to blow their trumpets, we also see them here described as people who are very showy, who are, very, uh, who are seeking the praise of men in their prayers. It says they love to stand and, and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now what's interesting here is last week Mr. Adam faithfully taught us that the word that Jesus used for um, where, he, where it says so that they may be seen or be praised by others, that that word, that Greek word, looks a lot like the word theatrics. And we talked about that, the, the showy nature. But if you continue to, to do word studies as you study the Bible, you'll see that not always is the same word used. And in this is example in our passage today. In chapter 5, he doesn't use the same word for that's translated be seen by others. He uses a different word. And I think he uses it because this word really translates literally to shine before others. They want to shine. They want to stand on the street corner or they want to stand and pray in the synagogues and they want to shine before other people. Look at my holiness. Look at the glow. Look at, look at how polished and refined I am and give me praise. See, we have to be careful. There was nothing wrong with praying on the street corner. Matter of fact, during feast time, they would blow a trumpet at certain times of the day, and you were, that was to direct you to pray. So you were walking down the street in Jerusalem during the time of feast day, and they would blow a trumpet. You would stop and pray. It, it wouldn't be a, a showy act. But there is a possibility that if you're seeking the praise of men, you would plan your day accordingly so that you would be on the street corner so that people would see you pray so that you could shine before others. See, it was no odd thing for men to stand in the synagogue and pray. That's what they did. In reverence to God, the practice was to stand in the synagogue. So again, paying very close attention to the words, we see in verse 5, for they love to stand and pray. So the real issue here is not standing and praying in the synagogue, is not praying on the street corner, is that they love to do that. They love not to have an intimate, personal, private conversation with their God, 
to praise him and to, to, to plead with him. But they love for the attention of man to stand and pray before others. And if we can be real honest with ourselves this morning, can we say that that's a temptation for all of us? If we're really honest with ourselves, that, that there's always the opportunity for someone in a pulpit or someone on a stage or st- someone who is asked to pray, that we would pray in such a way that we are trying to impress other people instead of speak to God. That's a temptation. And that temptation comes because of the sinful flesh that we still reside in. That although Christ has gained victory over our sin, there is still a struggle. So I think we need to be careful not to put the Pharisees so far to the left that we can't also be challenged in the temptations that we have to shine before others because it's there. but that we should have confidence that as we approach the time to pray, that we would not feel unworthy to pray. That what Christ has accomplished on the cross, he has provided an identity for us, not an identity that we deserve, an identity that he has provided a way undeservingly for our, ourselves. And so we have full confidence to approach the throne of grace through Jesus Christ, who has provided a way of reconciliation, of the wrath of God appeased, so that we can enter into his presence in prayer. So we have identity, but number two, we have intimacy. Look at verses five and six. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may seen by others. Truly I say that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first key is identity. That's who we are. But then there's intimacy. It's what we have, what we, what we do. This intimacy that, that we can go to, to, to a, a, the, the father of all creation. Peter and I, we, we like to sit and, and watch shows about nature, planet Earth, a lot of BBC things, and, and just be reminded of the splendor and the majesty of, of the, that can be seen in what God's created. You know that where, where scientists go to the depths of the ocean and they find species of animals that can't even see because it's so dark and they're blinded. And I think God created that, that animal exactly the way that it looks. It looks very alien and foreign to us. And, it, and it's in such a, a, the far depths of the ocean that no man can go. We, we've only been able to create machines that can ma- manage it. And then even machines can't go to the farthest depths of the ocean. And yet God created those depths. And how in the world can I even begin to approach a God in such a way? What would I say to him? Well, I think Jesus is teaching us this morning that because of our identity in God, that we can have intimacy with him. 
that we are taught to pray to him and as our father, as his children who would approach uh, our father in such a humble and intimate way where we can speak to him with love and, and concern. And Jesus gives us the great example of that. If we want to understand our intimacy with God the Father, we must see the intimacy that God the Father has with God the Son. Hold your place here and turn to John 17. One of the greatest passages in Scripture, specifically about the relationship, the eternal relationship in the Trinity. Let's look through uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. Jesus is praying. His time on earth is drawing closed. And he says this. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the peoples who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and, I've, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And I am praying for them. I am praying for the world, or I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Can you see, can you see the, the, the intimacy that, that the Father speaks to the, or to the Son that speaks to the Father? He's talking about the relationship, the, the love that they've had, an eternal love. A, a love that, that has always existed. My love for my son was, was for Peter, was, was, began the moment that I learned that Amy was pregnant with my son. The love for my daughters began when, when Amy comes to me and she shows me this picture, this little, this little jelly bean in, in her stomach. Before that, I, I only had this, 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 you know, random thought or, or a, a, a excitement about what would it be like to be a father. And then you, you see the realization of this. But God's, his eternal love has existed throughout eternity. And this, this, you see this conversation between the son and the father. This obedience where he's saying, I've come and I've done everything you've asked me to do that you would be glorified, that, that you would be honored, and that you would glorify me. 
And my challenge to us this morning is that as we think about our intimacy with God the Father in our prayers, as we come to him praying, can we know and understand that that we have intimacy with him as well through Christ? That we can speak to him, maybe not with an eternal love that we can comprehend, but an eternal love that he has had for us? That if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then the love of God for you is eternal. A love that you didn't have a clue about. That you could have not even possibly fathomed as a three or four or ten or twenty-five year old. But as a believer of Jesus Christ, you are a believer in him because before the foundations of the world, he had set his love upon you. And so you can come to him in prayer. And he has given you a supernatural intimacy with him. Think about this. When you are without Christ, when you are without Christ, you are without his Holy Spirit. You don't know how to pray because you have not been given the capacity to pray. You are separated from God because of your sin. And so you are speaking to God in prayers before Christ as if you are speaking to a stranger. You are uncomfortable. You don't know what to say. You're like, oh, um, God, I really need some help here maybe. And possibly if, that's, if, that's, if you're you know, free today, uh, could you possibly help me out in this way? But when the, when the salvation of Christ comes upon us and we are given the Holy Spirit in that salvation, our intimacy with God changes. It is supernatural. We are told that, that we are given the words to say, that, that the Spirit of God is, is uh, within us crying out, Abba, Father. And so we, we begin to understand that identity and that intimacy and that that Holy Spirit reminds us in even our shame over our sin that we have identity in him. It's like your kid who disobeys you and goes and hides in the, in the closet or, or under the bed and they're so afraid for you to come in and discover what's happened. But in the end, even through discipline, there's love. You're not kicking them out on the street, hopefully. Timothy George says that the Holy Spirit is the sign and pledge of our adoption so that by his presence in our hearts, we are truly convinced that God is for us, not against us. And that deed, he is our heavenly father. Even the word Abba, Father, that, that word Abba was an Aramaic word uh, that represented what little kids, little babies would say in, in reference to their daddy. Like they were crying out, Daddy. That's what it meant. And it was even expanded to adults as a formal uh, reference to God, a personal reference. Because he is more than a distant God. He is our Father. And so as you pray, have confidence of the Holy Spirit who gives you the words to say, who helps you understand through the scriptures how to pray. 
But he also helps us understand, and Jesus brings to this point in Matthew, that our intimacy with God is private. That our prayers are private prayers, prayers between us and God. Jesus is not condemning public praying. But as I said before, he is condemning those who want to be seen and praised, who desire an identity with man and not an identity with God. But look at what he says in verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what Jesus is talking about is in the, in the time of Christ, uh, people would build their homes, and, and, a, and most homes had an inner room. It was an inner room. It had uh, no exterior access. And this storeroom or this inner room would be where you would keep valuables. It was a private room. There were no windows. There, you would go into this room, and, and you, it would be completely secretive and concealed from the outside world. And Jesus is using this as an example. Is he saying, you can only pray if you go into this inner room? Should you go to your house today and build an inner room? That's not what he's saying. He's teaching us that our intimacy with God involves a private communication with him. It's private. It's, it's personal. That when we go to pray, we are speaking to the creator of the universe but we are speaking to him privately. We can, we can bring our, our needs before him. Things that we're afraid to say in public. Things that we would never reveal to even our family members of the struggles that we have. And yet we can come to our father who already knows all things. Who already knows what we need. And we can pray to him. D.A. Carson asked two questions that I think are very challenging for us today. He asked, number one, do you pray more frequently and more fervently when you're alone with God than you do in public? Do you love the secret place of prayer? Is your public praying simply just an overflow of your private praying? And then he concludes, if the answers are not in enthusiastic affirmatives, we fail the test and fall under the uh, condemnation of Jesus. We are hypocrites. But as we think about our intimacy, we said that it is supernatural, that it is private. Let's also be reminded that it is reverent. Let me encourage you that as you pray, to pray personally, to know that you can have access to God as your holy father, but know that he is still holy as your father. That as you approach him, your words are not flippant, that they are reverent, that you are speaking to the one who has created all things, that you have not only gained access to the kingdom, but you have gained access to the king, but he is still the king. 
that as you pray, speak to him as one who has authority over you. For our young people in here this morning, I would encourage you to think about your conversations with God as conversations where you are speaking to him in prayer, that you are being guided by the Holy Spirit that dwells within a believer in Jesus Christ, that you speak to God, that you can ask him for your needs, that you can praise him for all that he has done. So we've said three things or two things so far. We've said that our prayer centers on identity, it centers on intimacy, and lastly, on humility. This section could be a four or five week series in itself, but let me just highlight a, 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 what I would say a, a, a guide and a, a model of prayer that Jesus gives us. Let's be reminded that this is not necessarily how Jesus prays. I think he prays in, with these principles, but he's not praying these words. Jesus would never pray. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Or I'm sorry, verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive, forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, Jesus never had sin. He never committed sin. But we can look at these things as principles in, that guide and direct and shape our prayer life. I've divided these up into four. Number one, pray humbly for God's supremacy. Pray humbly for God's supremacy. He tells us, he instructs us to pray to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name or holy is your name. We were created for God's glory. And so when we come to the Father through the Son, we come seeking His glory and not our glory. Which is exactly the opposite of what Christ is teaching us about these hypocrites. And as we see in verse 7, the Gentiles who pray repetitive words thinking that their words will be heard because of their repetition or the quantity of their prayers. They are not praying for the glory of God. They, were, they are praying in such a way for the glory of man. So we are challenged then that when we pray, number one, to pray toward God's supremacy. God, how are how do you want me to, to live in this situation in my life? How do you want me to choose this between these choices? How can I uh, best choose for your glory and honor? As a youth pastor for 10 years, it was so difficult to teach something like this in, with our students because a lot of times with our students, we had parents who were teaching uh, decision-making decision based upon success, not based upon God's glory. 
So when we came to juniors and sophomores and seniors, it, it was never about where, where can I best glorify God in, in my decisions for college and, and career and, and, and interpersonal relationships. It was always, well, where am I going to be the most successful and where am I going to be the most happy? As if those things are not combined and, and connected. You will be the most joyful when you are seeking God's glory if you belong to God. You may not be the happiest, but you will be joyful seeking his glory. And so how are you going to pray in that way for the situations in your life? God, where do you want me to be to glorify your name? And some parents would say, well, my my child needs to go to college. And I would agree, your child needs to go to college. But right now your child wants to go serve on the mission field. So if, they, if God is leading them to do that and they, and they can best glorify God, can they do that? Are you praying for God's glory? Are you praying for success in the future, which you might be uh, demonstrating in your own life that is, you, you believe is absent from God's glory and power? Because God can be glorified in your child's life by serving in that way. Just a little soapbox. So as we pray, we pray for God's supremacy, his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We were created to seek God's glory. Uh, Sin entered into the world and, and disrupts that pattern. Jesus Christ enters our life again. We are infused with the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit then redirects our mind back to seeking the glory of God by which we were created. Number two, pray humbly for God's kingdom. Not only pray for his supremacy, but pray for his kingdom. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth earth as it is in heaven. As we are seeking his glory, we are acknowledging in our prayers that our plans and, and our desires are second place to what God wants to happen and accomplish in this world. That we should live to seek to accomplish the goals and the, and the dreams and the visions that God has given his people for his kingdom. Jesus came into the world to usher in the kingdom of God. He says in Mark chapter 1, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So as you pray... Are you praying, God, how can I fulfill the kingdom of God in my life for you? How can I help bring this kingdom and shine forth this kingdom in the world? See, Jesus ushered in this kingdom. And then he leaves and he infuses us with the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to be his representatives of this kingdom as the church. And this church, this church and and churches in this world, we are a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We are the representation of the kingdom of God on earth. So when Jesus is praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what he's saying is, as the church... 
pray in such a way that God will accomplish his kingdom work through you as his kingdom work is being accomplished in heaven. There is nothing hindering the work of the kingdom in heaven. There is no sin. There is no disruption of service. But on earth, the disruption of service is sin, right? And the church rises forth and repents and turns from sin and continues to pursue the kingdom of God until Christ returns and establishes that kingdom forever. And so every day, it's like getting our plumb line correct again. It's getting our our focus centered and, and our life level so that we can live as Christ wants us to live for his kingdom and his glory. And often a, a prayer of repentance might be, Father, uh, yesterday I got really off center or off track with your kingdom. It was all about me. Help me to be uh, and focused in such a way today that I am pursuing your work that I am making disciples, that I am edifying the saints, that I am equipping the saints, that I am speaking to, to others in truth and love, that I am reaching the nations for the sake of the gospel, that I am proclaiming Christ, Christ that I am loving my neighbor, that I am seeking your kingdom first and your righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So we pray humbly for God's supremacy, for God's kingdom. Number three, we pray for God's provision. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Here we see here a a, a request, a a petition. God is not so distant and and, and so um, unaccessible that that we can um, fear asking him for things that we need. Not things that we want, things that we need. Things that will help us. Things that will give us the strength to do the work of the kingdom. And he provides for us. We pray for these provisions. And yet we know that God will provide. He will give us food to eat. But every meal may not be a sirloin steak. He doesn't promise us that we will eat like kings or dress like Hollywood celebrities, but he does promise us that he will provide for his people, that he will give us physical provisions like he does for creation, the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. How much more value are you to him? But he will also give us his grace, our spiritual provisions. That he will give us forgiveness of our sins and our, de- and our debts. That he will care for us physically and spiritually. And so we ask for forgiveness when we sin, even though we know forgiveness is provided through Christ. This week I posted on Facebook, a a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who says, I speak not lightly of your sin, that it is exceedingly great, but I I speak still more loftily of the blood of Christ, 
Great as thy sins are, the blood of Christ is still greater. Thy sins are like great mountains, but the blood of Christ is like Noah's flood. Twenty cubits upward shall his blood prevail, and the top of the mountains of thy sin shall be covered. And so we pray and we ask God for his grace, but yet we know his grace is applied and sufficient. So we pray towards his supremacy, toward his kingdom, for his provision, for his protection. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Are we surprised that as we pray to God as our Father, that we would ask him to provide for us and to protect us? Isn't that what fathers are supposed to do? And again, don't be confused if, if, if you lived in such a way where you didn't feel that protection or you didn't feel that provision, that that does not distort your understanding of God's provision and protection. That God is a perfect father. He is the father of all fathers. And he protects his children. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. And how many times in our lives do we fail to even understand and see by the providence of God how he has directed our paths away from danger and temptation? How many times? Only in reflection of years, maybe down the road, can we look back and go, wow, God has protected me. And those are the things, folks, that we have seen. Those are, the th- those are not even, uh, they don't even begin to amount to the times that we completely and totally missed a car T-boning our family and killing us. You guys remember last summer, families driving home from Florida. A woman comes across four lanes of traffic, the median, and, and two more lanes on, or I'm sorry, two lanes, a median, and then two more lanes is flipping like this in front of my car, and we miss her. I see the undercarriage of her car. That's how she's flipping. And she lands on the other side, and I'm, I'm, I'm still driving, so I have to go past where she went and stop to go back and see how she's doing. And we're reflecting back on, we, we, we see that she's okay, and, and, every, and she's safe, and the, the paramedics come, and as we're driving home with my family in the car, and Mickey, our foreign exchange student, and all I can do is say, guys, do you see the protection of God for our family? Do you see how he cared for us in that moment? That if we would have left five minutes early, or if I've been going about 10, minute, 10 miles an hour faster, which is sometimes, unfortunately, what I do, that we would have been hit and killed, every one of us. And God protected us. But specifically, Jesus is praying for spiritual protection. Again, we pray, God, would you lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil today? The evil of this world, evil thoughts in my mind. Don't allow my mind to wander into things that are untrue. Do not allow my mind to think in a worldview that that dishonors your word and your kingdom. And we ask for that protection. And yet we know God gives us that protection. How do we know that? Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 says that as believers in Jesus, we are already equipped for the battle. 
We don't come to the battle with our armor. We come to the battle with the Lord's armor. We come to battle to fight the fight, and God has provided us all the things that we need to fight these spiritual wars. And yet in prayer, in intimacy, and in humility, and in our identity, we ask God, even today, as I daily depend upon you, would you lead me away from the temptation to sin? Would you remind me of the, the helmet of salvation, of the, the armor of God that, that equips me for the battle that you have given me? We sing this song, I think we sang it last week. It is well with my soul. And one section of the lyrics says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. As we pray, I think God oftentimes comforts our hearts and reminds us that even in our failures, God's grace is sufficient. That he will give us the grace that is necessary to complete the task. And when we fail him, his grace is still applied. So as we conclude this morning, we come to the Lord Again, in identity, in intimacy, and humility. And we come as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We come as, as we've been talking throughout this section, we come as people who have already committed our lives to Jesus. Jesus is not giving instruction for all the world as to how to pray. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your prayer needs to be something simple. It needs to be a prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We could say in a sense that that is the entry point into a relationship with Christ. Where we are broken over our sin, we are confessing our sin to God, and we are confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And we say, of course, that it's not a prayer that saves. It is the heart of the one who prays, who genuinely believes in Christ, who genuinely is broken over their sin, who will be saved. So the invitation for you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, let your first prayers to God be prayers of brokenness over your sin and a dependence in the grace of Jesus Christ to save you. I don't know about you, but in studying this passage this week, every time I study these things, I'm just reminded that as God continually conforms and shapes my life into the image of Christ, he is only improving my life of prayer.
He is improving my life of reconciliation. He is improving my, my, my means of, of interpersonal communication and love for my believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. He is ever increasing and improving my way of, of sharing the gospel and my boldness. And so no matter how poor of a prayer or, or prayer person or prayer warrior you may be, may we all together as believers strive knowing that Christ is shaping and molding us day by day to pray as he desires us to pray, to love as he desires us to love and to serve and glorify his son Jesus as he desires. Let's pray.